Welcome to A Woman's Clarity, a new program by C2P. A Woman's Clarity aims to help both women and men in the financial services industry reach their full potential by interacting with like-minded, strong, and motivated holistic advisors. We've partnered within our network of institutional and carrier partners to bring expertise, advice, tips, and more from talented female leaders, professionals, and practitioners from the finance sector. Hi, this is Kirsten Schlumbaum, Vice President of Annuity Sales here at C2P and host of A Woman's Clarity. I am honored to have on my next guest, Bill Cohen. I got the opportunity to hear Bill speak through our Portland chapter of Women in Financial Services, and it spoke to me. There's a lot of things going on in the world today, and to be vulnerable, my family is dealing with some challenges with cognitive decline. And so when I listened to Bill speak, he really pulled at my heartstrings. And actually during the middle of the presentation, I let out a big sigh, end up getting muted, but it was really because it was more of an emotional release to know that I am not alone in the struggles that my family is going through with my brother and my sister and my parents. So Bill, I'm extremely honored and happy that you're here with me today. And I don't think I can introduce you any better than you sharing your story and why coordinating your dimensional care team and plan is so important to you. Do you mind sharing your why? You bet. Thank you. And you, you, you took the word out of my mouth. I was going to say, I'm honored to be on with you. So I appreciate it very much. So yeah, what I'd like to say is that if you had told me about 19, 20 years ago, what was going to transpire uh, in the journey with my mother, and that I'd be sitting here talking to you today and doing what I do, I'd say, no way, you're crazy, you can't make this up. So I'm originally from New England. I'm out in Portland, Oregon. My mom was living in Biloxi, Mississippi for almost 30 years. In the mid-2000s, she starts showing some signs of something that caused concern. Things like not taking care of the finances. She used to do the taxes. She was a whiz on a computer, not taking care of the house, agitation, paranoia, memory issues of some kind. We weren't sure what it was. She was in the caregiver role for my late stepfather. He was on and off hospice. We were wondering, okay, if he passes away or goes into a care community, will she bounce back? Was she just stressed? Was she tired? Was she just getting a little older? However, we never got that opportunity because as you and your colleagues will remember, what happened on August 2005 on the Mississippi Gulf Coast and New Orleans? There's a hurricane. hurricane. They had evacuated safely, but they fully expected to come back to that house. It was completely swept away in the storm surge down to the slab. Needless to say, the trauma of seeing her home gone and everything with it exacerbated, accelerated whatever was coming on with her. Later, it became apparent that it was Alzheimer's. So I started doing the long distance travel and caregiving. Uh, she had evacuated to North Carolina with other family, later on Delray Beach. I started attending a support group. I started talking to a care community in Southwest Portland. 
uh, getting some counseling. I was dealing with so many issues. I can get into all the different aspects of caregiving, but I want to get to the point of the story is that it was about a 10-year journey. I move her out to Portland, Oregon, and she was in a care facility here, uh, less than a year in assisted living, four years in memory care, and then passed away at age 83, 10 years ago, this past February. I'm so sorry for your loss. Thank you. Appreciate it. And with that support group, I kept going for a little while longer because it was really good experience. I got a lot of support, a lot of advice. It was confidential. It was safe. There were people who had lost their own loved ones and helping the rest of us go through the through the journey. And I wanted to do the same thing for a little while longer. Now, if it had been a bad experience, I might have said after mom died, I'm done. I'm burned out. Goodbye. Right. But I kept going and I became the facilitator. And I'm still leading that same support group 18 years later. I also uh, started doing fundraising like the walk to end Alzheimer's. I'm going to the Capitol advocating for funds for research to find a cure. We're still working at it. We're getting some better uh, treatments now, finally. And I thought as I approached retirement from a completely unrelated government job that I was just going to do more volunteer work. I came across the concept of a caregiving support consultant, and the rest is, we'll talk about the rest of this story. But as I like to say, I turned my personal loss, my pain into my passion and my encore career. So you went through a lot, though. I mean, that's a lot to go through. It was a 10-year time period from when you first notice it, Katrina, and then all the changes. So... Right now, I'm having, I'm struggling to think of the words because it it hits me in the heart. Yes. Um, because it's not a matter really of anymore a matter of if this is going to happen mm-hmm. to someone we know, someone we love, whether it's a parent, a friend, a grandparent. It's a matter of when. I think everybody today is affected somehow by Alzheimer's, dementia, or cognitive decline in their family. Mm-hmm. Or I consider some of my friends and my circle of family, even if they're not blood related. So it's so powerful. So when you're going through all of this and you found this support group, can you share how you created this new life in your second career? It's a great question uh, because like I said, I had no concept of it until, oh, maybe eight, nine months before I was going to formally retire from that state gig it was longer than a gig of course uh that i started doing some research uh most of us at some point have used linkedin maybe for job search maybe for networking maybe to build your business maybe to become a influencer who knows uh i started contacting whoever i could find in the senior and elder care and dementia care field internationally what do you do how do you market yourself? How do you get paid? And what do you think about me doing this? And everybody was so encouraging saying, there's a need for what you do because it is a little bit different, mm-hmm. which I can explain as well. So, I'm hoping you will because what you do is what draws me to you. So I'm hoping that you get down that path. Mm-hmm, exactly. So uh, even about 
four months before I officially retired, I used to have all my vacation time and launched my business even before I had retired. So I wasn't going to just uh, use that vacation time to sit around and uh, play out the strings, so to speak. So it's, I started doing a combination of leveraging social media, attending networking. First best decision I made was my local chamber of commerce. Uh, going to senior care type meetings, other people in the in the field locally. I always love to mention that one group I went to, I was at a meeting about nine months after I'd started and I we were talking about social media. We were talking about networking. And I said, how many of you here knew who I was last January? Not one hand went up. How many of you know who I am now? Every hand went up because I was getting out there, meeting people, having coffee, find out what they do, see how we can collaborate and be a team. Uh, again, social media, doing podcasts, a little bit of everything. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So share with our listening audience, who is Bill Cohen today and what, what are you doing? I love these general questions, but I can get more deeper for you if you want to. So I, I, I think I like to say first that what I was doing before, and I actually had previous careers, and as you know now, one of them was in financial services. I tried to do uh, insurance and financial planning and securities. Selling was very different back in the day when I was trying to do it than it is today. Now it's more about relationships and networking and social media, right? Uh, but there is there was no passion for those other things. Right. It was more for the compensation, the benefits, especially 25 years with the state of Oregon. Mm -hmm. So I have found what, like I said, I'm something I'm passionate about okay. because this is all in my mom's memory and honor. And so how I help people, it's a little bit different. The closest, and some of your uh, listeners may know who a geriatric or aging life care manager is. Their focus is as medical professionals and social workers, the person with the disease whether it's Alzheimer's or otherwise, and rightly so, because they can't take care of themselves. They may not even be able to make their own decisions. But who is saying to the caregiver, and this is what I experienced going back to the mid-2000s, how are you doing? What support and resources do you need? That has always been sorely lacking. And I hear it from my clients now and in my support groups and say, you know, if we get a diagnosis, do we get a treatment plan? Do we get a uh, some prescriptions, anything? It's almost crickets. Like here's a pamphlet, call the Alzheimer's Association and good luck. And that's why I felt there was a vacuum, a void to support them. My focus is on the caregivers. My client are the caregivers. I occasionally see the person with dementia and I've even done some companion care, going for walks with them, spending time with them. But my focus is providing advice, support, resources, and referrals to the caregiver to put together their care team and care plan, collaborating with all the different service providers and professionals to reduce their stress so they don't feel so overwhelmed, so alone, so isolated, but also, just as important, practice self-care and prevention, as well as managing the care. So before we go into how to create and or coordinate your dementia care team and plan, 
Can you share what are the types of family caregivers? Because we on the financial services side, we look for the solutions to help the in the client, mm -hmm. but we also are looking to also help their family. So if and when something happens, we can support the entire picture. That's a great question because there are different relationships and uh, my family was almost a microcosm of all of them. Okay. <laughs> because, right, and I'll tell you some of the good parts, but then I'll get into some of the less appealing relationships. First, family is how you define it or you design it. It's not just your family, your relatives. It's whoever is close around you. It could be your neighbors, friends, ex-coworkers or coworkers, uh, maybe charitable organizations, your church, a social service like a Kiwanis or Elks. So it could be any of those. Now, right after the hurricane, we were kind of collaborative together, the family. We had to get my mother and my stepfather back in gear, get them back in shape because they lost virtually everything. And everybody pitched in in different ways, whether it was funds or getting mom reset up on a Mac, uh, you know, whatever we needed, people were stepping up and helping. They were in crisis. So, because, and as I like to say, I mean, the hurricane was a day that changed our lives, everybody. Right. And this became what I called Team Sheila, my mother's name. And that it became later on my walk team for the walked in Alzheimer's. So this is this is my 10th year leading Team Sheila. So then it became a little more sequential. I mean, I'm involved throughout and I'm handling all the different things, not just the care, but the finances and the legal and the real estate and the taxes, everything. First, she's with family in North Carolina, then other family in Florida before I moved her out here. So taking turns on the care. Right. Then I move her out to Oregon and along with an aunt who moved out here from Manhattan and stayed and my my wife it was really closer to solitary. I was the primary guy. I'm handling just about everything but with some support indirectly from my family which was gold. It was invaluable. Now in my case and I this will lead into the other types my aunts in particular had a lot of opinions. Fortunately, they always had my mother's best interests at heart. They didn't have ulterior motives. And I listened to them, but they also knew my name was on the power of attorney. My name was on the advanced directive and as a personal health representative. So I at least listened, but they knew I had the final say. But they also knew I also had my mom's best interests at heart. Now, that doesn't always work. There are other kinds where they're off at a distance, they're not helping, or they're giving unsolicited advice. And this is where it gets difficult and dicey because they may have ulterior motives like they don't agree how you're doing it, or they don't want any money spent because they want theirs whenever the family member passes away. They may not say it, but it becomes apparent. So this is where I come in to try to help families get on the same page and come to decisions that are in the best interest. Now, I have a couple of theories where if somebody has uh, other opinions, one, you can say, well, that's a great idea. Why don't you take that on? So one, one of two things is probably gonna happen. Either they're going to shut up 
which is also, that's a win. Mm -hmm. Or they're going to say, oh, okay, sure, I'll do that. You know, even from long distance, I can handle the, the ordering things or handle the, the finances. And that's also a win, is you have them to help you out. Now, the other way would be, especially if it's way off base, unsolicited advice, bad information, not in your loved one's best interest, I'll say, hmm, that's interesting. I'll think about it and then ignore it. Yeah, I like to say that's that's interesting. I'll take that under advisement. Yes, there, yeah, exactly. Same, similar concept. Exactly. So that's where you have different kinds of caregivers and different kinds of family arrangements, and there are different ways of handling them. Uh, I have increasingly become a facilitator and now a trained elder mediator because, as we know, some families can't even decide on ordering pizza, let alone their family members' care. So I try to help them come to a decision that everybody can live with. They may not get everything they want, but at least we'll keep them talking to come to that decision. I make it very clear that I am not a therapist. I can't fix your family problems. I feel very grateful that my brother, my sister, and I, we have a very good communication system. Now, I'm 1,900 miles away. My brother is 15 minutes away, and my sister is two and a half hours away. So I am always searching for ways I can best support them mm -hmm. because it is difficult. I mm -hmm. mean, there are days I want to I want to give a solution, but I'm not there. I can't do it. Um, so it's, it's it's very challenging. But I'm very blessed that I have siblings who I can communicate with. Now, is it perfect? Absolutely not, because we're all three unique individuals with very very strong personalities. But our parents, their care is number one. How I feel falls down the ladder. So it's always important to put that first. But based on information I've received from you, there are five types of caregiving. Mm -hmm. Collaborative, uneasy, solitary, mm -hmm. observed, and tag team. And that's what I was just talking about. Oh, right. right. But you had names for them. But I, I just like to give it names because sometimes people are searching for a label for what they're doing. And it sometimes helps them to figure out what where they are on the wheel and where they need to be. Mm -hmm. When you're facilitating conversations with family members to figure out the best care, in your opinion, is there one type of care that's better than the others? Or is there, is it always whatever's gonna work best for the client, the, the, the loved one? There's a phrase in our industry, and I, I embellish it. If you've seen one case of Alzheimer's, if you've seen one case of dementia, if you've seen one case of aging, you've seen just one case. There are common threads running throughout, and those will come in handy about some basic concepts to try to cover in terms uh, of the care, how to do it, when, et cetera. I mean, this it's hard to find that Goldilocks just right. You might be too early, too late, too much, too little, that type of thing. Uh, but at least uh, if you're talking, you're trying to come to some common ground, uh, that's what you want to shoot for. Uh, when it, it, you don't have to agree on every little detail, but if you, in general, you know, every minutia in general, if you're in agreement about the care of your family member, then that's gold. And that's one of the first things I say to families. I think I may have even said it to you. And if I didn't, then I will now that pat yourselves in the back. Bravo. If you are doing that as a team, you're working together on it and you can play to each other's strengths, weaknesses, Somebody who's doesn't who hates finances, 
you know, maybe so one of your other family, you love it, but they don't, you're the right person maybe to handle that. Mm -hmm. Somebody else, of course, is nearby and let them handle the hands-on caregiving and the, and the doctor appointments. Somebody else uh, can handle the legal stuff. So the, it's just, each family is going to be a little bit different, but you want to kind of have a checklist. These are all the different issues that need to go into the care plan and to incorporate that care team. And what I tried to do, because again, this is something that was very challenging back in the mid 2000s, was you can imagine what it was like trying to find information or resources. Uh, it was, we have uh, a wonderful directory here in the Northwest. You've probably seen a retirement connection guide, which mm -hmm. lists just about everybody. We have the internet, the internet. That didn't exist back, barely existed in the 2000s. It was basically the old line. I would presume that you and the rest uh, your listeners are old enough to remember the line, like your fingers do the walking through the yellow pages. That's basically what we were doing. You mean my booster seat when I was a kid? <laughs> exactly. There you go. That one. That one. Right. And so, it's, a, it's, okay. a, it's you have much more information today, but how do you know who is the best person to work with? Who can you trust? Who is vetted? And that's what I attempt to do, whether it's the elder law attorney or a home care agency or a housing advisor. I have my A team. These are the people that you can trust will take care of. And I pretty much have that for each category. So before we go on to creating, I guess I feel like there's two different plans we create. We create the plan for the person needing care mm -hmm. and we create the plan on like for myself, how do I support the caregiver? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to let you take the, the direction you'd like to start with. Mm -hmm. Let's, or would you like to start with how do we create a plan for the loved one mm -hmm. first? Mm -hmm. Because I think how do we create that support team for them? And then I want to talk more about what we can do to support the caregiver mm -hmm. because it falls on my brother's shoulders. It fell on your shoulders. Mm -hmm. It's more than just saying, here's mom's checkbook. Please write the checks. There's an emotional toll that happens to the caregiver. So I think there's two different lanes that we have to look at when supporting mm -hmm. those with cognitive decline and those that are taking care of them. So the the priorities, and there's a couple that are like one and one A, okay. besides having the conversation, you do want to talk about it. You don't want to put it off. You don't want to shove it under the rug, kick the can, the proverbial can down the road, is talk about it, discuss it. And if necessary, have a team, a family meeting with or without the person with dementia, because they may not understand. They should have, uh, to use a phrase, they should have a vote, but they may not be able to have the veto because they may not be happy with any decision the family made uh, makes, like staying in their home or going to a care facility, letting somebody else come into the house. But one and 1A are, are they safe? And are the legal documents in, in place? Because if you don't have power of attorney and you don't have the advanced directive with health representative, uh, you're pretty much stuck. You don't, you can't advocate. You can't make decisions. You can't talk to the doctors. And depending on what state you're in and how the power of attorney is written, if it does not have a guardianship or conservatorship clause in there, that can be even more challenging. Exactly, exactly. So that's what you're talking with the elder attorney or the, the attorneys to help you help your parents or you as an advisor, help your clients to get these documents in place before 
something happens. I was fortunate that even before the hurricane disaster, uh, mom and my stepfather started putting me on some basic financial things like payable on death at the bank. We were slowly moving in that direction. We weren't into crisis mode yet. But we, we, we didn't know it was coming. How could we, right? We'd love to all be prepared, but who knew something like that was going to happen? So it was right afterwards that we did uh, those documents, including wills and trusts and that type of thing. I'm going to tell a quick story about how important it is uh, and how it's like it can be a gift from your loved one. Very soon after mom is in North Carolina, I make one of my trips back there to see her. We do the advanced directive. Now, many of you will know or remember this case in Florida. I asked my mom the question, among the others on the form, mom, do you want to end up like Terry Schiavo? And she said, and she, it was big in the news then about the woman who was on a persistent vegetative state for a couple of years. The families were fighting over the politicians got involved. Very, very famous case. And so she was very aware of it. She said, clearly, absolutely not. She did not want all the tubes and, and exhaustion, uh, uh, extraordinary measures, et cetera. So that was my message from my mom, put, put it in writing. My aunt said, okay, that's what you heard from Sheila. That's what we're going to go by. And that was our guideline all the way through hospice to the end, where we start taking away medications and then increasing morphine and that type of thing so that she wasn't suffering. She was out of pain. And at that point, I was saying, I'll have what she's having. <laughs> so I know it's a little morbid, but, uh, it but, but like I said, it was a gift. I didn't have to guess what my mom wanted or make a horrible decision, but every person is different and it's a personal decision. Right. So, but it shows how vital do, having those conversations, asking the questions, getting those documents in place. Then again, as I'm saying, safety, very important. And that's not just physical, but there are many aspects to it. Tripping hazards, the kitchen, uh, the, the stove, uh, uh, knives, uh, it can be, if it's a man, especially power tools, uh, you know, I want to work in my shop, right? Uh, what about guns? Is there a gun, guns with ammo in the house? Okay, not to mention wandering, exit seeking, driving, a lot of different things. And I definitely know the other big area besides uh, the, the healthcare safety is, of course, financial. Now, this is part of the reason why I became a certified senior advisor, is that and most of the people are, are a good chunk of the people who are CSAs are in your field. So the other big area of safety, which many of you will know is certified senior advisor is why I became one is because, and many people in the financial sectors are CSAs, not just in senior care, because it's not just making about making a suitable recommendation. It's about the uh, uh, preventing fraud, abuse, and predatory practices on our most vulnerable population. And we know about the scams and the calls and the people coming to their door and the emails and everything else. And that's scary. And sometimes we have to take steps to protect them 
financially. Yeah, sure, maybe they can still handle a checkbook and paying their bills, but wouldn't it be better in terms of a form, uh, the language of a former president, trust but verify? Mm -hmm. In other words, yeah, sure, let them be watching online or checking the statements for some unusual transactions. What's this $1,000 thing, you know, to, I've never heard of these people, right? Yeah, and because it's a good chance they could go after your loved one again because they found somebody who's an easy mark. Or they have access to their bank account information because it's on the check that they gave them. Yes. Yeah, or God forbid, social security number, right? And there's so many, so many things to protect our loved ones with, as long as they are willing to have the conversations at the time that they can make those decisions. And I think we as financial advisors, we have a fiduciary responsibility to have the conversation. I'm not saying at that point in time that we're submitting a solution, but having the conversation is one thing about what they should have in place for their golden years, for their no-go years, which however you wanted to describe them, but also bringing in their children into the conversation of their financial plan and what's important to mom and dad or mom or dad. Whoever as, as we know, you, so you can make the decisions and mm -hmm. not some strangers. Right. Right. What do because you want? Without the right documents, yeah. strangers are going to make decisions for them. Exactly. So getting back to the, the care team and the care plan and why part of the reason why I became a certified senior advisor is that uh, and some people, if they know have, have any kind of a social work background, there's a term called wraparound, where it's getting everybody involved to take care of the person who is vulnerable or in trouble. In many cases, it's a kid, but in this case, we're talking about a senior. And what I tried to do is bring in all those different elements to take care of them. So getting beyond those first couple of areas of the legal documents and, and safety, we're getting into all the areas of uh, healthcare, uh, taking care of things in the home, et cetera. So I'm gonna give you an example of a case recently where I helped a family. Happens to be that the adult child, the daughter was from Portland, but was living out of country. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep, she was in, uh, in Europe for the last 30 years. Her mom and her stepfather are in a care community here in Portland. And the wrong people completely were watching out for her mom. They were not taking care of her care. She had no control over the finances, the legal, anything. And make a long story short, mom ended up because she wasn't getting even the right medical care, was in memory care. And she shouldn't have been. Secure lockdown memory care instead of in her independent living apartment with her husband. And because they also didn't have any space in the assisted living. So basically the care community dropped the ball, the doctor dropped the ball, the, the current POA and the legal person and her husband and his stepfamily were not, were neglecting her mom. Oh my goodness. So we get together a team, which included some of those people, but also uh, a housing advisor, home care agency, elder law attorney, all the different aspects that need to be brought to the table to get mom back on board. 
And one of them was on one of those calls, but it was like a lifesaver is I brought in a, it's the old house call type doctor and a geriatric physician who makes house calls. She went to see mom and actually the daughter let her know, I think this is all she needs or primarily was B12 shots. Simple as that. She was presenting. She, was, she has some cognitive issues, mm -hmm. but she was presenting as more like advanced dementia. And that's why the care committee just threw her in memory care, didn't know what else to do with her because the doctor would not prescribe it. She got some B12 shots and a couple of other tweaks and she's out of there. She's out of memory care. And now she's back in her assisted living apartment. Actually, because... it's close. We actually moved her. This is part of the story. We actually moved her to another care community, which is kind of a blend between assisted living and memory care. She can go around the grounds, look at the ducks the, and the chickens and the koi fish and beautiful roses and other flowers. And there's a perimeter fence. She's safe. She can't get out and do anything that's dangerous to herself, but she feels like she's on her own. She has freedom and she's a lot happier and thriving and i go visit her on a regular basis to give her some company because she has nobody else to visit her yeah wow so that's where putting together the the right team and a plan to get mom back on track she will probably in the coming months year we don't know exactly when in a in a secure memory care but not okay. yet she had no business being in there and that's where and you'd imagine the relief and the less stress that a daughter in Europe is feeling because of all this. My heart, my heart hurts for her having to go through this, but I'm happy that you were there to help provide clarity. Now, if we were to have a crystal ball, none of us have crystal ball. Everybody wants us to have what's what's going to happen with the market, what's going to happen in this or that. But if we were able to help with prior planning when it comes to creating your caregiving team or your dementia care plan, what would you say or what advice would you give an advisor when, when helping somebody when they say on their concerns and priorities that um, nursing home care or long-term care was important to them, but they want to talk about it in a few months? Like, is there a list that you would highly recommend our advisors to use on things that they should put together before? I've actually borrowed I've actually borrowed AARP as an excellent checklist for caregivers in general, which talks about all those things. Obviously, if the health is there and their age isn't too advanced, long-term care insurance would be wonderful if somebody can afford it, or they can get one of the newer plans, the life insurance plans with a long-term care rider or other living benefits. Mm -hmm. We all know that would be wonderful. Uh, but there are other ways of going about it. But again, it goes uh, back to also if even if they have some assets and income, will Medicaid be in the discussion coming up? And it's just, I tell people, don't try to do it yourself. Right. Don't try to plan on it. You're better talking to an elder law attorney who knows how the system works, get their advice, set up whatever financial vehicles are necessary. There's a lot of misinformation out there. Oh, you got to get divorced. You got to impoverish yourself. You got to get an annuity. Maybe, yes, maybe not. But every case is a little bit different. And that's where an elder law attorney can provide right. advice for that. And and so that, I mean, I think about one couple uh, that I knew a few years ago, and I know uh, their son, he's in my chamber of commerce. And 
they set it up because it helps that he's in financial services, but he also has a legal de degree, a background. So by doing some good planning, working with an attorney, the mom was able to stay in her home, not be impoverished. Dad goes on Medicaid. He has frontal temporal dementia, okay. FTD, and uh, ultimately ended up in a care facility in a memory uh, memory care and Medicaid bed, which is very hard to find. But working also with one of my trusted housing advisors, we were able to find him a bed. That's wonderful. Talk about peace. That's, that's, that's wonderful. And I guess I was also thinking of even before purchasing any type of long-term care, sometimes people just say, no, I don't want to talk about whether it's traditional asset-based or life insurance. Mm -hmm. We at C2P create a family estate organizer, which puts all of their important documents into one really nice bundled um, binder or box, however the advisor wants to put it together. And my brain is sitting here going, what if there was a, a, a section for their care? Or, yeah. and I see this list of does a who does a family need to support their caregiver team? And I'm like, financial advisor, tax yeah. advisor, health insurance, legal counsel, long-term care. And some of these are the, the holistic planner themselves but there's a list here to help, really. So if the parent, the kids come to um, Mr. Smith, the advisor, and say, hey, we have a situation. Mom was just diagnosed with Alzheimer's. What do we do? What can we do? And, you know, advisor Mr. Smith says, I'm so glad you asked. There's mm -hmm. Here's the family estate organizer. They have this, and this plan is in here. Okay. So. Are there any tips you would give then to help advisors help their clients be more organized if they're looking at preventative measures? Because I'm already thinking about it for myself. I mean, with what I'm going through with my parents, I want to make sure all my ducks are in a row. I don't have children. I don't want a stranger coming in and putting me someplace that's not really where I need to be. Mm -hmm. So how, how do we help our advisors help their clients, I guess? I think in, instead of trying to focus on just one person in the family, make sure everybody is in the loop. They're at least informed that this is where documents are organized in one place so that people say, well, I didn't know, nobody told me. And where is this stuff in case something happens to the, you know, the power of attorney or the health uh, representative, the caregiver, uh, keep everybody in loop, keep everybody uh, informed. I think that's the most important thing. And I think you're referring to a list that I provided that day yeah. when I talked. And yeah, yeah. that very comprehensive list. And it may not, you may not need everybody, right? You they may age in place. They may end up staying at home, may not need to go to a care facility, they may not need a, a downsized move manager, they may not need a uh uh senior real estate specialist. Right. Right. Every, like you said, every case is different. Every situation is different. And I guess my mom always said when I was growing up, Kirsten, prior planning prevents poor performance. Yeah, that explains yeah. a lot of other things about me too. But, um, you know, so when I think about this and I think about what we're going through, we started on this journey when we moved my parents into assisted living, mm -hmm. but then when other things happened, everything got scattered. So mm -hmm. we were kind of at a loss for a moment, but we got to re regroup and re and um, circle back together to get everything put back in place. But I guess I always think of, since I've experienced this, or think there's things that we can do to help our future clients to 
or help her clients and their, their children in the future if something were to happen. And another way of putting it with you, your mom said, is it's so much better to be preparing and, and planning and proactive rather than reacting in a crisis. You have fewer options. It's going to be stressful. It's going to be emotional. It is. And it's nobody makes good decisions in that circumstance. And how everybody feels is okay because everybody's experiencing it from a different lens. Right. Now, that being said, how do we support the caregiver? Like, what are your best tips? Because if in a situation of, a, of a, the advisor has their the child come in and say, this is what's going on, it's also good to be able to be supportive to the next generation. So whether it's a family member, a friend, a lot of times our advisors and their clients become very close because they get to know each other really well. How do we best support that caregiver? So my first piece of advice to a caregiver happens to be what I, one of the first things I did was attending that support group because you realize you are not alone. You're in a safe, confidential environment. Uh, most of us know when we're going through a serious situation or crisis of our own, others may not get it. They may not relate. They, they, they just don't understand what you're going through. They haven't been there. And you start getting cut off. You start getting isolated. You lose your friends. You know, well, why can't you go out for coffee? Why can't you do this? You know, hey, you want to go play tennis? Oh, sorry, can't. I got to watch mom, right? Mm -hmm. So it's important to, one, get the support where it's available, like a support group. It may, a therapist or counselor can be invaluable, especially if you're employed, start with your own benefits. That's what I did because you're going to get some free counseling I ended up paying for some extra sessions uh, with the counselor. I ended up finding the person who was perfect for me because one, she came from a similar cultural background and religious background, shall we say. And so she got my family. <laughs> and the other was because I was dealing, I don't think I mentioned this part, uh, part of my stress, and I, and I can give you some more examples. I had a narcissistic micromanager boss while I was caring for mom. So you can imagine where my stress level was. So this person, this counselor also helped me through all that while I was applying for other jobs to get away. Fortunately, unfortunately, that didn't happen. So you can imagine how my blood pressure during that time period. Uh, fortunately, after mom passed away, that person retired themselves. So my stress level came down significantly. But during that time period, I found it was very important to watch my mental and my physical health as well. And whether it was getting away from my desk, getting away out of that cubicle and just walking around the building, getting some fresh air, cleared my, my head and away from that person. <laughs> um, they also uh, started doing chair massages in the building. I said, well, oh. I was like a great way to take advantage um, during my break. And then I started, I found a local licensed massage therapist and that became a regular thing. And I realized self-care is not selfish, it's vital. Mm -hmm. And that to me, to this day, for me, it's a massage. For somebody else, it might be something else, right? You know, getting a manicure, going meditation, whatever it is, that it's not a luxury, it's a necessity. And that that really helped me a lot. I don't know, I, I, could, I guess I could do a takeoff on the old phrase, you don't know how many times I got close to saying, take this job and 
yeah, real close. <laughs> but it, need, it's it's challenging. Need... Like when you have a challenging job and you're also taking on the weight of the caregiver role. And even if they move into a facility, you still have a lot of responsibility because there's sometimes there's anger, there's sadness, there's suppression from the person going into the facility. But then there's your own caregiver grief you have to yes. navigate as well. It's not easy. Like when you become, when you're parenting your parent, mm -hmm. it's not easy. And that's a complete mind switch. And even if you're not caring for them yourself, hands on, like you said, they're in a care facility or they're at home with a aid. You're still worrying about them. You're still thinking about them constantly. Right. It's, it's a 24 seven job. And that that's really a, Hard. I mean, every time the phone rang at work, heart pop up on my phone, blah, blah, care community. I said, oh, God, now what? Fortunately, they were really good about saying, don't worry, Bill, your mom, mother's fine, blah, 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 blah. So they put me at ease very quickly, but they and they communicate. Not all places do that, especially during the pandemic. That's all another story. <laughs> That's another story for another day, because that was a debacle in itself when it came exactly. to taking care of our, our seniors and our loved ones. So I'm going to pick your brain selfishly. I have to ask this question. So me as the little sister, 1900 miles away, how do I support and anybody else in that situation is not, not families are not nuclear anymore where they all stay in mm -hmm. the same place. We're spread out across the United States. Mm -hmm. How do we, the outliers who love our loved ones and the caregivers, how do we support them? Or do we just ask them mm -hmm. what do they need? Is a couple of different approaches. And this goes for, let's say you can mention this to your sibling that's right there, you know, boots on the ground, so to speak, is ask for help. And it can be a simple thing like, hey, can you pick up the dry cleaning or a prescription? Do hey, you have a, a teenage kid, can they mow the lawn for me? Sometimes all they need, need to do is ask. In your case, from a distance, which is obviously logistically more difficult, yes, ask. How can I help? Um, uh, can I do this? Can I do that? Uh, are there some things? Do you need anything like from through Amazon? Can I do do some ordering for you? Uh, that's one less task that they have to worry about. And a lot of people just don't know how they can help. They want to. But if the caregiver doesn't ask or the person does doesn't take the initiative on their own, like bring a dish, bring a casserole. You know, as I was just talking to a couple of ladies on another podcast where, and we're completely different backgrounds and religions, and we both agreed, yeah, you don't go empty handed, you bring something. <laughs> well, since I would be in Iowa, you bring either, well, that's Minnesota's a hot dish. You bring a casserole. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Uh, no, so but I think, I think people get, but human nature is not to ask when someone's going through something they just want to do. Mm -hmm. And sometimes doing is the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes not understanding their boundaries right. is, is hard. Because once a caregiver, you have to have your own boundaries to say, I'm sorry, I can't do that because I have X, Y, Z. I have to take care of my loved one. And then second of all is taking care of yourself. So sometimes people want to help, but they do it in the wrong manner. Whereas they try to take over versus saying, Bill, what can I do to support you? 
I'm, I'm 1900 miles away. What can I do for you to take some burden from you? Or do we, I just need to listen to you? And I'll bet you do this anyway, but I'm going to give a, an example for somebody else in case you haven't. Yeah, okay. Uh, I don't know your, your brother's name. doesn't matter. So brother, uh, do you have any important meetings coming up out of town conferences? Do you have any vacation plans? Do you need a break? Okay. Let me look at my schedule. Let's coordinate. I will come there and relieve you, whether it's a weekend, a week, whatever, uh, a couple of weeks, whatever you need, because I know this has got to be really hard on you. And you know, that's going to be gold and appreciated. I wish I could send my brother a massage. I don't know if he likes them or not, but I do. So for me, I'd be like, heck yes, give give me a massage. Well, find a, find a local one in the area, get some recommendations and say, who do you recommend that I can send them to and just send them a gift? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. In fact, I have offered my client that's in Europe when she comes next month, said, I, I want you to go to my person who I've been seeing for almost 10 years because you'll love her and you need it. <laughs> Hopefully she'll take me up on it. <laughs> well, I'm a big believer in self-care and, and having massages. So I love that aspect. But I think when it comes back to it, we just need to and I say the general we is mm -hmm. communication always becomes more difficult when crisis erupts, everybody, you know, is they're trying to understand, they're trying to find the right words, they're trying to find the right path. But if everyone can keep the lines of communication open, which is a lot easier said than done, mm -hmm. the, the uniform, the, the congealed effort, or it'd be more of a congealed effort versus loose pieces going everywhere scattered. Um, but I'm a big believer in communication. And now, uh, we're not perfect as a family. We do have our challenges, but at the end of the day, again, it's our mother, it's our father that's most important. Um, I, I have so many questions I want to ask, but I want to keep us on track because you know I've got that afternoon coffee kicking in and the yeah. Friday vibes as well. Mm -hmm. But um, gosh, what services like if if someone were to call me after this podcast launches? What services do you offer? And you're not just, obviously, you're not just Portland-centric. You, you're international yeah. based on our conversation. I'm nationwide and a little bit in Canada. And I and I have done podcasts internationally. And my Facebook community is international. So, okay. yes, absolutely. Theoretically, I could help anybody anywhere. I mean, I like to say that since the pandemic, I mean, yeah, it's been challenging. But I say, okay, we got handed lemons. I made limoncello instead of lemon. <laughs> <laughs> it's been it's been a boon to me actually. Because right. Looking for support everywhere. If you think about people out in a rural, isolated area, wherever that may be, and finding resources and facilities and services, they are almost non-existent. Most of that is near large population. Right. And so they're reaching out for support wherever they can get it and. I feel I can do that from anywhere. And that's uh, some of my family situations have been where they're all over the country. Like mm -hmm. three, I had a family of four brothers and the three of them were scattered around California. One of them's in DC. Another one where the woman is here in Portland and her family's in South Florida. So oh, wow. yeah, so yeah, could be anywhere. And I will provide within this podcast, a QR code to your website so people can get in touch with you to help them, help their family members, help their clients, really hone in on that caregiver 
coordination. I think it's so important. What's the best advice? Since you've been in financial services, it was a different time and a different mm-hmm. place. What what would be the three things you would say our advisors should do when having, or if they're not having the conversation about their second protection conversation on their assets for the asset-based long-term care or some type of care for their caregivers? Some I'm going to put you on the spot. Yeah, some of this may be a little uh, repetitive, but because legal and financial are so closely related. Mm-hmm. Again, yeah, make sure that the legal documents are in place because that may incorporate wills and trusts, which are uh, you're going to put financial assets in there, perhaps. Uh, I know, and I've been out of the business too long to uh, give examples, and I'm sure you could, of the different vehicles that are available today that aren't, aren't. I always think about when I set up my aunt when she moved out here and I was talking to the financial planner and insurance guy that were in the office I used to work in. We were looking for something safe, give her an income, safe from creditors. And I said, well, how about a single premium immediate annuity? And they said, wish we had thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> and she's been thrilled that that's what we did for her, among a couple of other things. So uh, yes, make sure that you have that conversation with a good legal it'd be good to have a financial advisor that has some legal background or understands it, right? Or has a good partner, a collaborator that can explain in good lame person's terms, right? The the next would probably be that, I think it's the aging in place issue. Yes, that's the least expensive. And as long as they are thriving and happy, if they are safe and they're getting good care, that's what most of us want. That's what most of us get. That's what most of us do. Very few people end up in the old nursing homes. It really doesn't exist anymore. I mean, the skilled nursing facilities is the closest thing. My mom's memory care looked like the old nursing homes, but the care was really good. Mm-hmm. That was the important thing. But as you were alluding to, we used to age in place with extended family, multi-generational. Now, there are many more options nowadays to do that whether it's in a care community where you go from independent to assisted living to memory care as the needs uh, change. But again, you could bring in anything from a companion type care to help around the house, that type of thing, or getting into the activities of daily living just to take the stress off. Now, a lot of families, a lot of aging adults, they've been independent for 40, 50, 60 years. They don't want to be a burden. They don't want anybody in the house. I get into not so much a yes or no way the family should frame it, but would you like to do it this way where you stay at home for a while and have somebody come in and help just help you? This is a friend of mine. You don't call it a babysitter. You don't call it a nurse. You don't call it an aide. You say, I've got a friend who can help out. Uh, or we can go into a, a place where they'll Take care of them. You don't have to worry about mowing the lawn and all that stuff. Make things easier for you and meet some new people and activities, mm-hmm. blah, 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 so forth. But you give them choices and you put it into like a yes, not a yes or no, but an A or B. So again, there's so many more options from independent all the way to memory care and adult care homes. As far as a third option uh, step, I think, again, just be proactive, talk about it. You're going to probably have a plan A. You probably should have a plan B and C at least. Look mm-hmm. at all the what ifs. Right. 
So again, being prepared, being proactive and not having to react in a crisis. I was just going to say real quickly, I think in terms of one of the things, I mean, I, I had to do some reacting, definitely. And fortunately, we did the legal things afterwards. And I remember uh, one of the things I did was when mom was going on hospice and trying to predict about how much longer she was going to be, I took care of all her final arrangements. So I knew that I didn't have to worry about that. I had that peace of mind for when the time came. I mm -hmm. wasn't. And I, when I was doing the pre-planning with the person, I said, this is hard enough now with dealing with knowing my mom is going to die. Not if, but when. Anticipatory grief. Right. Still here, but we don't, we know they're going to, where they're going to go. I can't imagine coming in here and talking to you when somebody died suddenly and there's no plan and having to discuss these kind of matters. Yeah. So important to have a conversation. And at the end of the day, at, we are holistic advisors. We create a plan and we continue to have conversations. So I guess I love the fact that you've got the solutions and you've got the ability to help people when they need to create the plan once the diagnosis is. But we as fiduciaries have the responsibility to have the conversation to help financially get them that plan in place and also have our centers of influences like our state planning attorneys that we work with to help them with the other parts, but work together and have the communication. Mm -hmm. So I think Bill, you and I could probably talk for hours because there's so much human in this conversation that I don't think we can talk about it enough, but I've also been experiencing things and you've been experiencing things. Um, but I'm going to share your information with our podcast. So if people have questions or if they want to talk with you more as a subject matter expert, they can reach out to you and help create their own team or help their clients create teams because together we will do great things to help our clients to the best of our ability. And I can tell by your kindness and your experience, that's your passion. So I appreciate you sharing with us your story, your passion, and helping us be better sons, daughters, granddaughters, grandsons mm -hmm. to those that we love if and when something happens. So thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And I appreciate the opportunity. As I like to say, I can support them. I can support your clients. I've been there. And to everybody listening, we'll provide some documents so you can get in touch with, with Bill. And I always end my podcast with the same sign off. So whatever you're going to do today, do good things. Thank you for listening. At the time of delivery and any subsequent publishing, information was deemed reliable but is subject to change by the time of viewing or listening. The contents of this piece include the opinions and projections of C2P, are subject to change, and are for informational purposes only. The information provided in this presentation is not intended to be individual investment, tax, or legal advice.